Welcome to the Hunter's Hub Hunt More podcast. This podcast is built to get you hunting more. We talk with the greatest hunters around the world, known and unknown. We tell stories, give tips, share opinions, and talk all things hunting. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunter's Hub Hunt More podcast. Today, we have Tyler Mott on board. Uh, pretty much Paul Bunyan is what we got on board here today. This dude has ate his Wheaties. He's a giant, and uh, we're like the same age, so definitely puts me to shame. <laughs> Anyways, dude, what's up? How's it going? It's going good, man. I'm glad to be back on here. You know, a bunch of new stories, and a lot of good stuff has gone down in the last year, so we're always happy to share sweet yeah it's been yeah it's been almost the exact year since we had you guys on last and so uh yeah today i just kind of you know we talked about it back and forth uh asking what kind of topics we want to roll on and one major one that hit off was i think one that uh you said you get a lot of questions about anyway so it's a good one so we're going to talk today about how you got started and how other kids should get started and what they uh not even kids just younger dudes you know some guys are you know decide they want to change their career or whatever but how did you get started in the guiding industry and what to expect because it's not all instagram photos <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely true and that is funny i do uh that is a question that does come up a lot you know we go to these uh expos in utah or the elk foundation banquets and we do talk to a lot of people um, a lot of younger guys who are, you know, interested or looking at getting their foot in the door. Um, not really sure if they're, you know, interested in doing it full time, but it's just something that they're definitely looking, you know, a career path or kind of a side job. Um, and, you know, one of the main things is your upbringing. Like I grew up with a lot of people who's, you know, parents and grandparents and uncles, you know, big hunting families and, you know, Flagstaff where I'm from that you know, everyone, you know, around here hunts. Um, unfortunately, I kind of grew up in a household where that wasn't, you know, just a, a staple. It wasn't something that we did yearly. Um, both my parents went to crazy fancy law schools, um, you know, nine to five kind of job, and they never really pursued anything kind of in that field. And so in a you know, I started growing up and, you know, I spent all my time, you know, watching Monster Bulls, you know, AZ Extreme, like all this, kind, you know, kind of stuff. Anything you'd see on the Legend channel, um, any kid who's ever hunted and, you know, kind of watch this stuff. You always watch, you know, it's just all those old videos that, you know, you kind of used to live vicariously through. And it, it got to the point where I was like, you know, this is something I want to do. My family wasn't into it. And so I spent you know, every amount of free time I had running around in the woods, doing cameras, just kind of doing my own thing. Um, in Arizona, obviously the tag process is, you know, not difficult, but it's sought after and it takes some time. And so as, as a kid, you know, we had those youth tags, which were super beneficial. And I had a, one of my good friends, dads growing up was a, a hunting guide and he's really kind of what got me started um, taking me out as a kid. I had a couple uncles who did, but like I said, my family wasn't really geared towards hunting. So I knew if I wanted to, you know, pursue this path, just as even a hobby that it was, it was going to be on my own tracks. And, uh, I spent basically the majority of my free time. I, you know, dropped out of high school sports. I had to get a job, but any other time I spent was out in the woods doing something, picking up horns, filming animals, just doing whatever I could to not you know, be on the couch playing video games because that just wasn't what I wanted to do. And uh, I, you know, went through high school, finally started being able to like go out and do my hunts by myself. And I started running into a lot of these guys that worked for different outfitters that were just a little bit, you know, older than me. And I'd kind of talked to them. And uh, as you grow up knowing certain people, you realize, you know, okay, this guy works for this outfitter, you know, this guy's working over here. And like uh, Hunter Weems, one of the guys who got me a job with A3, I ran into that guy all over the place. Same with Pine Hecathorn, like places that I would never run into anyone. I was constantly running into these guys and we'd end up hunting the same stuff. And so finally, you know, I talked to him a little bit and, you know, guiding was a path where I'm like, you know what, shoot, I can make some money on this. Um, at that age, you know, you look at a, you know, your paycheck you get for a hunt when you're younger and you're like, dang, that's a big old chunk of change. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, now I look at it where it's, I'm, I'm definitely not going to get rich off guiding, you know, 
unless I own my own company, I don't think that's something I could ever do. I don't think I'd have the time for it. You you spend too much time, you know, beating your trucks up and everything, but it's, it's when I got into it, the money was just like the icing on the cake. I mean, that was like, that was cool. It was, you know, it's still at the end of every day, it's the passion and the hobby that fuels that whole thing. And when I got started, one of the main things that, you know, you kind of have to do to prove yourself is what you're bringing to the table, what you bring this outfitter, like, why should they hire you? Um, when I went through high school and everything, A3 was like the talk of the town. And that was the only company I sent an email to asking for a job when I, when I got back from Texas. And when I sat down with the owners of A3 and Hunter, they asked, you know, what do you bring to the table? What do you do? And the best thing that you can have in your pocket, even if you don't have a tag and you're not actually hunting anything, is going out and getting not just crappy film, but like good high quality film where, you know, you can show these guys and they can score a bull or they can look at this antelope and identify it from a year before. Um, showing, you know, these people that are going to take you in and hire you to take on, you know, clients who are paying, you know, a good chunk of change and have waited years. You know, some of these guys are waiting 20 plus years for these tags and they're not just going to hand it, you know, over to some young kid. And that was what I spent so much of my time doing was filming bulls from different units, you know, deer from these different places. So when they asked me, you know, what do you know about, you know, unit 10 or what do you know about unit nine or seven West? I could show them and say, you know, these are, you know, the bulls I follow year to year. These are the antelope that I'm constantly filming. Um, they'd ask, you know, have you ever had a tag there? And I'm like, no, you know, I never even hunted in these units. This is just what I want to do. And that's one thing that I think helps build your portfolio going into this business is showing that even when you're not being paid or you don't have a reason to be out there, you're out there because you want to be. It's that, you know, showing the effort and that you have that passion that you will bring something to the table when these companies do decide to pick you up. And I think that was, you know, something that was super beneficial to helping me get started. And that's one of the things I talked to a lot of people about is, you know, building your portfolio. So when you do get a chance or you do get an opportunity to get hired, these people, these outfitters look at you and they go, absolutely. Like, you know what, you're already putting the work in. You'd be a great addition to our team. And uh, I mean, I get it. It's hard. You look at, you know, the prices of Suaro's, I mean, this stuff's not cheap. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, being, being a high school kid or even a guy in college, who's starting and wanting to do this stuff. It it can be tricky, but I mean, you you just got to do the best you can, I guess at that point. Yeah, exactly. And like, the misconception is, I think, you know, like you said, a lot of people just are going to, you know, message you or message A3 and say, hey, can I have a job? Like, they don't have anything. Like, you know what I mean? They sure they go out and do stuff with their buddies, but they don't have like any, like any proof type of deal. Like how you said you had all this cool video and like, you're just like, you know, you, you try to get the best stuff. It's like, if you don't show up to a business period, not even guiding, like anything without any sort of value to add to it sure you might get a job but it's going to be like the very bottom tier you know what i mean like and that's if they really need somebody so if you want to make sure you land the job or get the job you want at each outfitting business or whatever really it is you show up and say hey guys you know can i i would like to be part of the team this is what i have to offer this is the areas i know here's a bunch of video footage i've got over the past couple of years um this is the type of gear i use you know like because if you show up and you have a pair of you know bush nails or whatever it's like <laughs> all right, but we got to get some better binos in your hand, you know, like it's not, you know, you can't, you know, it's, it's not taken away from anyone with a pair of bush nails, but it's just like, if you're dead serious, you know, you got to kind of invest in yourself you know, you got to buy the better glass, take the time to save the money, buy the better glass. So that way you have the best possible product to help find, you know, the best bucker bowl or Ram for that client. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it, at the end of the day, too, it's 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 your resume. You know, this isn't like a, a job at a business where you can come in and show, you know, your business degree, your other places of work, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, obviously, if you say, hey, you know, I've worked for this outfitter before and this is what I've killed with these guys. Perfect. That's a great resume. But when you're starting off fresh, it's one of those. There's so many big names in this town and not just this town, but in Arizona in general. And now in, you know, this is 2021, I started, I shoot, six years ago. And so the time from when I started to the time now, I've noticed the change. And granted, that is not even a fraction of the amount of time that some of these guys have been guiding for, where I look at guys who've been guiding since 
you know, the 90s and the train, the change that they can see from then and now. And there are so many outfitters like the guides test in Arizona. It's not something that is difficult to pass. Anyone can be an outfitter. Anyone can be a guide. But it's the reputation that yeah. is what's going to take you places and what's going to book hunts. And I, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, I try to talk to people all the time is like, you're, you're not going to get rich starting like my first year guiding. I think I barely broke even. And that's because when my bosses came to me and they said, Hey, look, you know, you've talked about this unit. This is the hunt you got. Boom. I spent as much time as I possibly could, you know, boots on the ground, time, effort, everything, gas, tires, you know, whatever to make sure that when I did get that chance, when that client did show up, he had an amazing hunt. He killed an animal that met his expectations and everyone else's, just more importantly, the clients. And that earned me my seat at the table. And I think that's one of the best things, you know, I think it's, it's just so different now where everyone has their kind of own idea of what, when they go into guiding, what it's going to be like, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think it's just tricky because there's people who like, oh, I drew a unit nine tag. You know, I'm guiding a nine hunter. We're going to go up there and see giant bulls. You may see a couple giant bulls. You may not see a giant bull just because there's, you know, it's just like the strip. Just because there's 240 bucks up there does not mean you'll see them. The last time I was on the strip was four years ago. I spent six days up there and it was on an auction hunt. I saw six deer, four does, one two point and a 250 buck. And that was the entire time. And I saw them for maybe two minutes. So, I mean, it's not like you get hired on with an outfitter, you get stuck in a unit. You still have to do your homework and prove to these people that they will place, you know, valued clients in your hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, okay, you're going to go hunt the strip or, you know, any of these, you know, like the Henry's and be automatically handed a 220 buck, you know, or a 240 buck. You still got to go to work for it. Plus nowadays, like you said, there's a guide under every tree nowadays everyone started their own guiding business so it, the competition's even more than what it was you know and so it's just like to to stand Absolutely. out to work for the best outfitting businesses you got to put some time and effort into your your gear uh your knowledge and just building like you said that resume of even if you're not guiding hunters just like make sure you have every bull that they've killed in the last four years out of the unit you you like live in or whatever make sure you have live video footage and say well i video this ball all the time that you guys whacked and it's like oh cool you know like he actually found this thing like he you know he has some cool video so i think that's what it takes is just getting out spending more time and you know conversing and first you know like if you see like these outfitters at the store you know the gas station you know at any of these banquets just introduce yourself like you don't gotta just like you know, automatically say, Hey, can I get a job? You, you know, if you're still really green, but it's like, make sure you introduce yourself and say, Hey, I talked to you like four years ago at such and such gas station during the elk hunt. How'd that hunt go for you guys? And then be like, you know, if you're ever looking for somebody, I'm, I would like to, you know, come help out or whatever kind of helps you. Get put in the Abs- absolutely. And I mean, as far as, like I said, you know, money's an afterthought, like everyone does this profession because they love it. Like it's obviously a passion and a hobby. And I think if you could, you know, for these younger guys that can come up and be like, hey, look, like I'm interested in getting into, you know, this aspect. This is, you know, what I can bring to the table. Can I just come, you know, spot on my own dime? And granted, you're going to lose money. But that that speaks volumes to people that you're willing to put in the effort, even when you're not on the clock. And, you know, I've gone and helped a bunch of buddies and had buddies help me. And, you, you know, you always try to return the favor. But in a business world where guiding is cutthroat at the end of the day. It really is. And just having, you know, new guys have that mentality where they want to work hard and they'll be like, hey, look, like, I just want to come and, you know, want to be a part of this and learn. And hopefully that opens doors. No one's going to be a jerk to you. And when you you're forthcoming and you're nice like that, it is all about approach at the end of the day. Like, obviously, you wouldn't come off cocky and rude and, you know, like your pants are big. You'd be respectful and you ask, you know, hey, man you know, can I take up, you know, some of your time and, you know, this and that, and people are, you know, they may say no, but it can't hurt. It's just getting, you know, your foot in the door to be able to show what you can bring to this table. And that's, that's how you build your reputation. Yeah, exactly. I think that's all it's about is just, you know, building the reputation and getting, you know, the knowledge, like you said. So another question we talked, you know, like kind of one of the things is if you're going to do it, you got to do it you can't just do it half-ass, you know what I mean? If you want to be a guide, you got to go into it. So 
for everyone, you know, about the young guys listening or even older guys that want just to change their career path, uh, how many days a year do you consider yourself out hunting or scouting? Oh, goodness. You know, honestly, <laughs> I don't even think I I really don't think I could, you know, break it down into that because I even look at shed hunting, you know, like over the last you know month we've been out picking up horns, you know, even if I have a half day after work or whatever. And when you start to, it's, it's like puzzle pieces, man. Like you, we have these bulls on camera in the early hunt and then throughout the entire hunt, we end up picking up their horns in this area and you, you connect these pieces of, you're like, okay, you know, they're growing here, they're rutting here, they're wintering here, they're shedding here. And you can kind of start to put together this like footpath. Um, I know in, I think it was from August, the end of August, like August, yeah, August, right before the early elk hunts and the antelope hunts to December, I spent less than I think 20 something nights in my own bed all the way till the end of December. And that was just, you know, you know, even if we're just up there scouting, I I think it was just from bouncing around from so many different hunts. But once the auction hunts start and you kind of get that rolling from August till December, I basically tell my family and everyone else to just, you know, see you later. If it's an emergency, call me. But at the end of the day, I have my sat phone. If you don't hear from me a week, you know, for a week, there's a welfare check text message that goes out. But other than that, I'm basically, I mean, my family can't keep track because they'll ask me from day to day and it'll go from, you know, I'm in 10 and now I'm over in 27 and now I'm back up in nine. And I mean, goodness, I, I really don't think anyone, I mean, if I actually sat down and counted days on a calendar, it's possible, but I, it's a ridiculous amount just from how much. I mean, there's so many close units near Flagstaff where it's like, even if I have a half day out work or even before work, sometimes, you know, running out and filming bulls out in the fields or something, you know, before sunset or sunrise comes up and then bouncing into work. I mean, I guess if you can count that as a half day or not, but it's, it's definitely up there Uh, enough to constantly go through trucks every two years. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I mean, I would still count those, you know, mornings and afternoons because it's still time that you're taking out of other things that you could be doing. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, you're still putting the time in there. So if people think they're going to just jump in, become a guide, you know, guide, you know, be a serious guide, not, you know, you know, not have a normal, really good job and then guide, you know, three weeks out of the year. Like I'm talking full time, you know, being all the pictures with all the big stuff type of guide. You got to be doing it 24 seven, pretty much, even if you're not guiding, like, you know, cause you have other stuff, like you said, but like, you're still thinking about it. Like, you know, you're thinking, okay, we're going to set cameras here. We're going to go, you know, scout this unit, you know, I leave this day for this, you know, this client's coming in. Like you're always thinking about it, trying to plan and make sure everything is taken care of. Absolutely. And I think the other thing too, is when talking about, you know, becoming a guide, there's a, you know, being a guide and working for an outfitter, two entirely different things. And there's a lot of people who run their own companies and, you know, they're one man shows or, you know, they may have, you know, a good group of guys like a three does. And I realized when I was in high school, that if someone draws an elk tag in any sort of unit, the top 30 people that they're going to go to is not Tyler Ma. And I realized <laughs> that because my name, my name was nothing at the time. You yeah. know what I mean? And shoot, still there's people who have no idea who I am and that's perfectly fine. But at the end of the day, when people call and they draw unit nine tag, they want a three to book them. A three is a giant name. So when they call and book a three, then they can get in contact with us. And I realized that the one way I can maximize how I'm going to get hunts and how I'm going to be able to make money and make this worth it is by working for an outfitter that has, you know, that type of platform, whether it's on social media, you know, word of mouth, you know, magazine covers, whatever, working for like a reputable company that, you know, carries some weight to it is what's going to bring in constant clients where even if, you know, maybe, you know, my first choice that I normally like guiding, you know, we didn't get clients for that. They, there's other units that I specialize in where they can go, Hey, how about this unit for this year? And I'm like, yeah, that works. And that's, that's something that was never going to happen, you know, by myself and by working for a three, it is jumped the amount of clients that I would, you know, have now versus if I'd started out by myself. Yeah. It helps, you know, like you said, you built your reputation to get in with the outfitting business. Now you're building your reputation with the outfitting business 
and you pick exactly. the good one to do it with. You don't, you know, nothing wrong with, you know, there's a lot of outfitters that they do it as kind of a side job as well. Um, there's nothing wrong with you, a, guy, a young guy wanting to jump in with one of them because maybe you know them or you're friends with their kid or whatever. But if you're wanting to take your ability to the next level, you want to be on all of those, you know, governor's tag, top unit, you know, all those hunts, you want to align yourself with the outfitters like A3 to where it's, okay, we're doing both the governor's deer tags, one governor elk, you know, you're like, you're going to be a part of something like super spectacular compared to, you know, the, the local guy that started one that takes, you know, a couple guys every year and they might get lucky and whack a true giant, which is cool. But your odds of you expanding yourself business wise are really little, um, you know, very small compared to now. It's just like, especially you, you're kind of, to me, like, you stand out in every picture regardless. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, who's that <laughs> giant guy over there? You know what I mean? So it, it helps you out because you, like, stand out above everybody. You're always packing all the elk. You know, like, it's always like, okay, well, now we recognize who this Tyler dude is because he's gigantic. It's, it's the big, tall goon. I've, I've been called every, you know, <laughs> Gumby stick the BFG and you just, at this point, you just roll with the punches. But what you said about those auction hunts, man, yeah, it's, it's a great way to get your name out. But I honestly think those, you know, summer auction elk hunts, that's about as much fun as you can have with your clothes on for me, at least. I mean, it is an absolute blast. Like right now I've talked to two different people today about, you know, in Flagstaff, it's finally warming up to 69 degrees, you know, summertime's coming. They're like, Oh yeah. Creek trips, you know, lake trips. I'm like, all I want to do is go do summer auction scouting. Like, I don't know what it is about that, but for anyone who ever has had the chance to hold like an actual giant velvet bull, there's, there's nothing like it. I mean, those things are that it is incredible. Yeah. I think that's pretty sweet. You know, the, and you guys do a damn good job at whacking some giants in the velvet. And I mean, sounds like flag stuff's just like where I'm at. We got the 68 degrees today. It's the warmest it's been since October and I'm cool with it. Like, you know, we're finally yeah, getting some, I mean, it, warmth (laughs) it's it's nice and it's it's a welcome sign too because it's you know in flagstaff we always talk about you have you you know you have wind you have road work you have winter and then you have a little bit of summer and that's basically all the seasons we get here because the the weather's just fluctuating so much but this warm weather's definitely given us all hope and we've actually gotten some really good late snowstorms which should really help the elk out especially where we're at in arizona sweet man that's gonna be awesome um before we dive into the next question, since we kind of started on the whole, you know, scouting and whatever topic, what uh, do you got? Do you guys have any? I don't know if you want to disclose any of this. Any mega bulls that are in the back pocket that could show back up this year? Dude, this last year, it was kind of funny that it, that you asked that. There was a lot of bulls that just from the units that I run that I know made it through. I know there's a lot of other guys that I work with at A3 who, you know, they watch tons of bulls like that, that were always excited to see. And there was a bunch of bulls that flew under the radar last year that somehow managed to live or that we didn't hunt that, you know, we know are still alive. And I think that has a lot of us excited right now for this upcoming year's auction hunts is because we know what these bulls were last year, what they were the year before. Um, and, we're hoping with this kind of precursor of the snow and this weather and the moisture that we've gotten that some of these bulls that are, you know, up there are going to be some of the bulls that hopefully we're standing over come, you know, August with these auction hunts, which is, you know, all we can hope for if we can keep this weather rolling. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Uh, do you guys have, how many auction hunters do you guys have this year? You know, I actually, I actually don't know at the moment of that. Luckily for me, uh, I've managed to keep myself out of, you know, kind of the, I, I guess you could say the HR department Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> where I, I, I stay out of booking. I stay out of permits. I stay out of all that business. And luckily I, you know, have managed to do it where I show up and, you know, my bosses know what hunts I do every year and I get my clients and we go hunting and I don't have to worry about anything else. I usually get a phone call in the middle of work you know, a week before an auction hunt or two weeks before that says, Hey, this is the bull we're hunting. This is where we're going. And we roll out and I come back a couple of weeks later. That's about it. You get all the, you do all the fun stuff and stay away from all the, 
stuff that aggravates you. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> you know, it, it's hard because I have been a, a disgruntled person on the other end of a phone before, and I know the person having to deal with me is not having a good day. So the last thing <laughs> I want to do is have to turn around and <laughs> deal with those people on a phone. Even even on social media, just. I mean, answering, not answering questions, but just dealing with, I guess you could say haters or Instagram trolls where it's like, I am so glad that I don't have to deal with that on like a company level because it's stressful. And it, it really, at the end of the day, it just takes so much time and effort, you know, out of everyone's lives to have to put up with it, which I feel bad for. But <laughs> yeah, and it starts to take the fun out of everything. If you, you know what I mean? Like, and that's the last thing you want it to do is take the fun out of it because that's the whole reason you got into it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this it's 2021, like this generation is the age of social media. And, you know, I, I know a bunch of other guides and outfitters and even, you know, friends of my parents who are like, I hate social media. I hate this. I hate that. And at the end of the day, they, they run a company or they run a business. Yeah. And, and even if you hate it, you have to pay to play. Like this isn't, you know, 40 years ago where you put an ad in the newspaper and that's what mostly people see social media as much as you hate it is what this generation is so that's like my instagram my instagram all i do is post hunting stuff on there to boost my portfolio with a3 for clients and you know future hunts um i don't have a twitter i keep a facebook just to let my you know distant family know i'm still alive but other <laughs> than that you like social media I, I think it's a bittersweet thing for hunting there's a lot of people who will say it's it's ruined it and there's a lot of people who say that I mean, it, it's definitely boosted the, I guess, hunting fads, you could say, where, you know, hunting, shed hunting, you know, filming your own hunts, you know, making these companies, it, it's, it's cool. It's something people, you know, are now taking a passion and a hobby in, and there's a copious amount more than there was five years ago. And so I guess you could say that, you know, social media has grown in the hunting industry and it has grown it into what it is today. And then you have some people who absolutely hate it because, you know, you have people from all over the country now, you know, who are coming to Arizona to pick up horns or to, you know, do whatever. And so I think it's, I mean, it's teach his own. I guess everyone has their own opinion. Yeah, <laughs> if you, no. if you, if you, if you stay off the front line and don't have to deal with it much, I think you live a much happier life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I agree with you there. I would, I would, yeah. We won't even dive down that rabbit hole because, there no. that I just want to beat my head against the wall with it. Yeah, and I, especially for you, man, you you, you run in Hunter's Hub and it's a way of life. I can, I can only imagine the amount of anti-hunters I deal with taking time out of their day to message, you know, mean, disgusting things to me. I can only imagine what it does for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, the antis are fine. Like, I can handle them, but it's because I don't even reply to any of them. I just delete them, you know, and most of the time they're just dumb comments, but it's to me like, you know, like you just said, the the real Instagram trolls are, you know, people that are like jealous of your guys' success, you know, all oh, you guys, you know, cheated to get this bull, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, that's the stuff that really like makes me upset. Like, it's like, we're all hunters. We're all trying to do the exact same thing. How about we all just get the hell along, you know? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think uh, I heard someone say the other day, if you're, if you're not ruffling someone's feathers, you're not doing it right. And I think that's more <laughs> in the aspect of, of jealousy in the sense where, you know, a giant bull gets killed open in morning and people are all pissed off because, you know, they don't get to hunt it. Well, at the end of the yeah. day, you did your homework and, you know, props to you. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, it's just, you're all, everyone's out there doing the same thing. And if, you know, especially if you don't got a governor's tag hunter with you and it's like, uh, this year at the Salt Lake on the online expo, how they, you know, sold the one Oak Creek's deer tag for like a hundred thousand and they were selling the governor's deer tag like four or five slots later. He's like, You do realize the guy that just bought the Oak Creek's tag, you can hunt this buck with a rifle way before he can. You know what I mean? Like it's just yep. you know, it's just it was just the way he put it, it was just funny because it's like someone's gonna get mad if the governor's tag goes in there and wax it before the guy that paid the hundred hundred thousand you know what i mean like it's just funny how that stuff all comes out like that oh yeah all that that stuff i feel is just it's bound to happen you know no yeah. matter what you do yeah. yeah you can't stop it but it's just that's that's the stuff that really aggravates me when it comes to you know social media but you gotta live and learn with it i guess um yep, it's this generation when, now Exactly. So what, here's another question for you. When it comes to these tags, like you said, you love these early season elk ones, you know, with these auction tags, 
how do you handle the pressure? Like, you know, some of them might roll over super simple. You know, you've been watching this bull, had him, you know, you know, just scouted, had him pattern. Guy shows up, you guys spend a few days, whatever, get lucky and get him whacked fairly quick. But what happens when it turns out and it's just a knuckle dragging and it drags through the whole season? Like, what is more, you know, like how do you handle the pressure between both those different things? Because either way, there's pressure, but some of them go a little bit smoother than others. You know, I th- I think there, there's there's two you know conversation topics to that, and there's the one where you talk about the auction hunts, where the stress of that is. Well, I guess I'll backtrack to this first one and I'll lead into it. When I started guiding, you know, you're you're stressing yourself out to prove yourself. You're doing everything you possibly can, and when you're one on one with a client, all that pressure is on you. You're scouting, you know, what you have done to prepare, you know, yourself and for this guy. And when you know I started guiding you know, guys would be like, okay, you, you know, your guide's Tyler Mott. And they'd be like, who's Tyler Mott? He's this, this, you know, he's, you know, 21. They'd be like, oh, you know, I don't want a 21, 22 year old kid, you know, guiding me. And you, you know, that's understandable. You know, these guys show up and they're like, they've waited for 20 something years for this tag. They've invested time, money, and all this stuff. They want a guy who knows what they're doing. I saw that and realized that, well, if, you know, they're looking for, you know, an older guy who has facial hair, I'm going to try to grow a beard, which is not <laughs> going to happen. So I, it's, it, it comes to the amount of time you're willing to put in to prove yourself. And it, it basically, it took me three years. It was probably two and a half to realize that to balance that stress and money, because at the end of the day, you know, that, you know, you are leading this guy to his dream trophy. You're making this an experience. Cause a lot of these guys, this, these tags are their vacation. It's their, you know, for some of them, it's once in a lifetime. Yeah. And, it, it was, it's so much stress and there's so many other factors, you know, a, a storm moves in, you know, other hunters bump it and that's obviously stuff you can't control and you have to learn to adapt, but hopefully from the beginning, you've done your homework where you're prepared. And it was two and a half, three years. I, I can remember the hunt. It was a unit nine muzzleloader hunt. And it was the first day was like 30 mile an hour winds and nothing's talking. And I was absolutely like everyone in camp was like, this is going to be rough. Um, it was a full moon. The rut just wasn't how it was supposed to be. Next day, same thing. And I was, I remember sitting there after the morning hunt and I'm like, you know what? None of these bulls are showing up where they are. Screw it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pretend this guy is my shadow. I'm going to pretend he's, you know, he's just following behind me. He's not even there. And I'm going to go do my thing. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm not going to stress. I'm going to hunt. Like I want to kill this bull. Boom. Glassed up that giant bull right away in a random spot, which is just on a whim where I thought he could be rolled down in there blind, you know, wind super bad. Can't hear him. I'm like, you know, this is the topography. This is what I'm working with. This is probably how he'll move. Walk over that Ridge, you know, a mile and a half later, we sit down, bull walks out 50 yards, guy drops him. And it was like a light switch went off in my head where I realized these guys who are starting and, you know, I'm super OCD with a lot of stuff, but you stress yourself out to the point where you're not having fun and you lose that passion. But, then I feel like you're not making, you know, the decisions you should be. And once you start doing what comes natural and what you've prepared and, you know, all the scouting and stuff you've done and you handle it just like you have the tag, big stuff started dying. And that's kind of where like the ball started rolling for me. And that's why, you know, working with Hunter, me and him work so well together when, you know, just on all these hunts where we started hunting, how we would hunt together on the over the counter hunts. And I'm like, this is badass. This works. This is awesome. And ever since then, that's been the mentality I have. And there's a lot of new guides that have started with us and, you know, a couple of buddies. And I've told them the same thing. I'm like, when you figure out there'll be a hunt or a day where you'll, that light switch will go off where you learn how to manage and balance the stress and like the passion of it Mm -hmm. and everything starts to work. But as far as when you go to the auction hunts, the cool part about that is that's usually, you know, when those auction hunts come up, it's a high profile client. It's obviously a lot of money going to conservation. Um, You obviously are hunting, you know, the biggest bulls that you have in your pocket and you bring an army and you don't have to take all that stress on your shoulders. You have a team of some of the best killers in the state who have done their homework. Even if you're, you know, you're in 23 or you're in nine or you're in three, a three C we have guys that specialize in all that stuff who, when we migrate to a unit for a certain bull, 
they take lead, they take point with our bosses and collectively as a team, we get it done. And that's why that hunt is so much fun for me because I know, you know, Hey, even if I'm worried about not seeing that bull in this spot, we got a guy over here or this guy knows about where he could go over here. So you kind of distribute, you know, the workload. And that's why those hunts are absolutely, they're so much fun. I mean, it's, and of course it's, it's not snowing. You're not hunting against, you know, 200 other people you're out there with a bunch of guys that you've worked with for the last seven years who all share the same passion with the guy who you know has dedicated his time and a lot of money to this you know this tag and this one bull and at the end of the day everyone grinds it out and that's why those hunts are i mean they're to me they're not as stressful i guarantee you if you ask my bosses it's an entirely different story they're probably stressed <laughs> out but i i, I have a blast <laughs> hey uh, that's always the best part though you go have fun and don't have all the stress they handled on and you just go do your job, you know, which is cool that you can go handle like that. Um, yeah, it just like, that's just, you know, the part of it though, is like, you got to have the mindset like you do to where it's just like, Oh, we're going out to have fun. We're going out to hunt this bucker bowl, how I would expect to do it to kill it and not be like just panicking. Like, you know, like when you said there was windy and nothing was going to be talking and like all this other stuff going on, you're like, uh, you look at the hunter and be like, Hey, what do you want to do today? Like, you know, you can't do that, especially on. Yeah, no, no, no client wants to look at their guide and have their guide, you know, just shrug their shoulders and go, well, we can go eat at camp. No, no one wants to hear that. And at the end of the day, you look at these other outfitters, like I said, it's cutthroat. No one's going to do that. There may be some people who that's their style, but, you know, I figured while you can, you know, the sooner you can get that bull down and you can, you know, put boots to the ground and get it taken care of, you're going to be more successful, I think, is. That's just my mindset behind it. I mean, the the stress is definitely adds, you know, it tries to change your way of thinking. And I think the reason a lot of us do so good in this line of field is because we've done our homework and we can focus on like what comes natural instead of letting it get to your head. Because that's when I feel like you're going to start to make mistakes. You're not going to be patient or you're going to let things fly under the radar like wind direction or thermals. Yeah. And then that's when all the big mistakes come into play. And then. Then at the end of the yep. day, you have a pissed off client, you know, because he even like realized we walked straight into the wind, dude. You know what I mean? Like something like that. You know? Exactly. It's things like that that you don't want to have because it's just like, but you're just so stressed out. They're just like, uh, like how do yeah, you, know? you And you get, you know, most of these tags are, you know, seven, 10, 14 day, you know, whatever you get out of 365 days, you get 10 days to do what you love to do for this, you know, one hunt, you got to make it count. And yeah, little mistakes happen, you know, like wind swirls or a stupid cagey old cow who you don't see, you know, barks and chirps, stuff like that always happens. But I mean, you got to be on top of that stuff most of the time. Yeah. To make sure, you, you know, you walk away with a happy client, you know, and like the thing is, is even for me being more of a client aspect, uh, as long as you had a good time, you, as, I mean, minus like the governor's tag stuff and some of these really, really high end units. But like if you're on just like, you know, your your average unit, as long as you see the guy put the work in and maybe just the weather was bad during your, you know, because the season's nine, nine days or whatever. You're there for nine days and you hunt hard and you walk away with, you know, one passing bulls or two, you're just not find anything you want. But you notice that your guide works his ass off and was trying hard and you had a good experience. That's just as good as what, you know taking a bucker bull in my eyes minus you know a lot of guys won't say that on like the higher end hunts but like on a normal you know unit type deal i think that's worth its weight in gold is just have the experience with the guide and you know walk away with a friendship instead of walking away pissed off at him exactly we always talk about too even if the hunting sucks camp morale has to be great 100 percent of the time because at the end of the day when you know you're out there and guys are tired if you you know there's lively spirits and positive attitudes in camp that's that's what boosts you know a majority of the hunts and it, it it's a sour taste like i said as a guide not killing or you know even having something else killed out from under you it fuels a fire but it is a sour taste in your mouth at the end of the day but sometimes i mean crap happens whether certain circumstances like you don't have control over but it, it'll it pushes you and helps you adapt and at least you know everyone's learning each year even guys that guide for you know 50 something years i guarantee you they're still learning stuff too oh yeah 100 percent. they're you know every year still learning and adding to your tool belt of experiences uh all right i got yep. another question for you this one i they uh uh 
I was asked this one a few years ago and because I, I was hunting so much and uh, I was single at the time. Anyways, I had a guy ask me, <laughs> how does this affect your dating life? Especially for young dudes that have a girlfriend now or like looking for girlfriends, but now they're going to be in the field, you know, sleeping in the back of their truck, hanging out with a bunch of dudes 24 seven. Like, how does this affect you that way? Because some dudes might just not be able to handle, you know, being away from women. I, I, you know, that that's actually funny. I, cause I see a lot of guys and we, we talk about that where, you know, guys start dating new girls. Um, I was in a relationship when I started guiding and it, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, at the same time, she had a heart of gold and supported me through all of that, which was absolutely everything I could ask for. Because I mean, I missed holidays. I missed, you know, family tragedies. I missed a lot of stuff that obviously even for you know, her and my parents, my brother would have been great for me to be there. I missed, um, three birthdays in a row. I was on the unit 10, a uh, late muzzleloader elk hunt. So I spent, you know, my birthdays out in the middle of, you know, BFE nowhere. And it, it that definitely is hard. Luckily for me, I, I don't have kids. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. one thing that would absolutely redefine and change everything is, you know, one being married, that's one person, but two, having a bunch of kids, it's, you know, I see guides do it all the time that have new kids. And obviously they've, you know, found a diamond in the rough with the lady that they have. And that's basically every guide's dream is to find the one that, you know, is 100% supportive, but you got to be careful because you can make the mistake and you can find the girl that loves to hunt just as much as you, which is a double-edged sword because then she's frustrated that she doesn't get to go out and do it with you. Yeah. Or when yeah. you're on your off season, when it's finally time to hunt for yourself, you got to spend all your time trying to help her get an over the counter deer or something like that. So you got to balance it out. You got to find one who supports it, but maybe like, isn't all about, you know, freezing her ass off all the time. Yeah. So she doesn't want to go out yeah. so you can. Um, I don't know. That I way mean, you actually a, get. I, hunt. Yep. I'm with you there. I mean, I'm, I'm not the poster child for relationship advice. I can vouch for that. And a lot of my friends can, yeah. uh, I, I, you gotta be honest, but at the end of the day, I think there's, you care about someone enough. You'll support what they're doing. I mean, being gone that much in that amount of time is not an easy feat at any means. It's just, I mean, dude, I got a, I got a puppy when I first started guiding and that was even hard enough. That was like my kid. And now she goes everywhere with me, but on hunts, uh, I leave her at home with my family and uh, I lucked out that way. Cause uh, I don't think I could, you know, leave her locked up in my fifth wheel all day long. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, that question doesn't even have to be about dating advice. Really. That could be about, you know, having a puppy, you know, even friends, like how does your friendships, you know, cause unless you're, you know, like how you said you got your friends with Weems uh, with Hunter and like how, you know, you guys hunted together and we're always together, but what about other dudes that didn't really, they had their nine to five job, you know what I mean? You didn't see them half the time, you know what I mean? Like it affects everything. Oh no. Yeah. And we, you know, of course, you know, after the auction hunts or something, after we'd like pound a giant or on a late hunt or whatever, we'd all come back and, you know, of course everyone would meet at a certain restaurant or bar or, you know, dance place, whatever, and everyone would get together and have a blast. And, you know, you kind of wear your short, quick, I'm back hangover off and then you're gone again for another couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Like it's just, it's just, you know, that question kind of fit everything. It's just like, how do you manage friendships, relationships, uh, having a puppy, you know, like, you know, all that, like, especially like, you know, being younger too, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, did your parents, like cause you said, your parents went and did schooling and, you know, for you know some really high degrees did they ever feel that like like you were kind of messing up or were they supportive of it all in the beginning i think from my just my parents perspective and what they did for work they thought i was absolutely insane <laughs> um and then my parent my, my my family kind of saw that like oh wow he's actually making a livelihood doing this maybe he's not you know as crazy as we thought and i think after you know it takes a while i mean obviously the first you know I think it was the first year, like I said, if I barely broke even, I was lucky just because of how much, you know, you're, you're upgrading your optics, you know, you're investing so much extra time to make sure that, you know, you're prepared for this hunt. Um, I know there's plenty of times where my family was frustrated that I missed out on, you know, certain events. And at the end of the day, I know over the last five years, I've become super sentimental where like, you know, Christmas time when family can get together, like if I'm home for Christmas, that's like, 
family time. Like that's what I appreciate. And unfortunately this last year, you know, COVID really, you know, kicked that idea in the pants with everyone kind of wanting to stay, you know, all spread out wherever they lived instead of all getting together at, you know, my grandparents' house or whatever. Yeah. But it's definitely, you learn to really appreciate the little things like your little sister's soccer game or, you know, a cousin's birthday or a wedding or something like that, because you are gone for, you know, especially family tragedies. Those, those are the ones that are really tough when, you know, you have to balance that fine line of obviously you're carrying some emotional baggage and your family's frustrated that you're not there and you're sad you're not there. But at the end of the day, you know, this is your work time, obviously certain circumstances pop up where you have to leave. And if it, if it works for, you know, another guide who's already killed to hop over and take your client, that's awesome. But it, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah, for sure. Because it's, you know, it's a, you got to kind of have that work-life balance, but being a, being a guide is kind of one, especially a guide that's doing it all the time. And one that's doing these, you know, governor's tags, auction tags, it's, you're kind of until, especially until all the auction tags are filled and, you know, you're just on call pretty much, you know, you could be gone every day of the week, be back Wednesday, you know, have a day, you know, it's just like not your normal nine to five job or whatever. So it's just kind of interesting to let people know how you handle that and like, uh, how how you overcome like those challenges like you said you had a puppy dude like dogs are cool but like you said you know when it was a puppy it was hard to take it everywhere because it'd be bouncing around the truck or chewing on something while you're trying to glass but now it just hangs out with you type of deal uh for like what would be your number one advice besides you know besides building a resume for any sort of kid or younger guy or even a guy want to change his career path to become a guide like how what other way would you know What's second to building the resume by, you know, just learning, like straight up getting, you know, boots on the ground. But what's another way that you would foresee if there even is another way? Because that's a kind of a tough topic. I think I think we really did cover it really well with the whole, you know, concept of one willing to be able to put in that extra time just to build your resume, even if because it's not you're not you know, getting paid to do your scouting. You're doing this in the beginning. We all start doing this because we love doing it. Yeah. The fact that you're now making money on it is an after afterthought. You know, there's a lot of guys who have, you know, regular nine to five jobs and, you know, they have a good setup where they're still able to guide a significant amount of hunts. And that's awesome. And, you know, their financial status, that guiding money could be used for family vacations or stuff like that. But the, the real one is, is just being gone so much and having reliable gear. I think is the main thing where I see so many people out there. And I made that comment about trucks earlier, dude, trucks and tires and suspension is a never ending dilemma that you will constantly be going through. And it's one of those things where I know a bunch of guides that have, you know, beaters like Jeeps or older Tacomas and stuff. And that's great. And I'm like, you know, maybe I should get that. But at the end of the day, trying to maintain, you know, an old beater truck, I don't want a client to show up and then have something go out. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, you know, having a, a, a sound truck, sound equipment, sound everything, because these guys show up. It's not like, you know, say you have an elk hunt over Thanksgiving or, or a deer hunt and something goes out on your truck. Odds are, even if you can get it fixed, it's going to take a couple of days. But if it's over a holiday or a weekend, you're on someone else's time unless you know how to fix it. Having the steps in place, like a spare tire, a jack, you know, these, these random things that you would never think tire plugs on my unit nine elk hunt. I got a sidewall hole and I shoved seven tire plugs in the one hole and melted them on all on there just so I could get back. And as soon as I got back to town, I got a new tire. I got a whole new box of tire plugs, but it's the little things that you'd never think of like, you know, electrical tape, just random, you know, zip ties on the Kaibab last year. Uh, my uh, upper ball joint, the, uh, cotter pin came out for the castle nut well what we figured out on the side of the road at 10 30 at night is you can actually for these f-150s take your lug nut off jack everything back up and screw your lug nut on where that castle nut should go and it'll get you back to camp it's it's not going to be pretty and it, i wouldn't drive far on it but having you know i have a go bag in the backseat of my truck all the time with just random stuff for my truck you know extra allen wrenches for my binos if i have to adjust something uh, just random stuff like that I've noticed over the years has come in so much more handy um, because this guy has seven days. You can't stop the clock and be like, hey, I'll add a day on at the end. You know, if we got to bounce, he's got a seven day window. Yeah, You got to make yeah. it count. And I think that's the one thing is 
I see, you know, truck issues are inevitable, man, but being able to, you know, prepare for them is probably the next best thing you can do, which again is hard for, you know, new guys starting. You're obviously not rolling around with a brand new 2021 truck. I mean, it's the, everything's so dang expensive now. Plus yes. half the trucks you try to go fix, all they do is hook it up to a computer and that's how they fix it. Now, you know, you, it's not like a, a 1960, you know, Chevy fleet side where you can climb in the engine compartment and fix everything. Yeah. A lot of it's you mechanically, you can't do it yourself type of deal. Absolutely. But like going back to what you said though, it's like, you know, I've had people before ask me, you know, why do you have a nicer truck to go hunting in it? But it's the exact same reason. It's like, well, what happens if I buy this truck that has 300,000 miles on it? It's 20 years old and I'm clear the hell in the middle of nowhere. Like, absolutely. What, like, what good is that? you know truck that might have cost me 10 grand you know gonna do compared to the one that was a little bit more expensive but made it there and back you know what i mean like you got to take it all into perspective you know and it's not like telling these kids to go out and buy a brand new vehicle but make sure make sure your stuff's like running like don't run out there with tires that have been bald forever you know make sure you got good tires on it you just keep your things updated you know like oil changes, all that, because you don't want to be, especially if you have a client, you, especially one that's there, you know, like the higher class ones that are coming in on those governor's tag stuff, you know, and you get called and say, Hey, we got a bull found over here. And you break down with the client, in the passenger seat halfway there, you know, like what, you know, that stuff does not look good on your record. <laughs> yeah. Plus, plus at the end of the day, you know, you finally get a chance to, you know, roll in, everyone's found the bull and that's the last thing you want to have happen. But I'm not, again, I'm not hating on those guys that have, you know, those, you know, 98 Tacomas, those things get after it. You know, I, I debated even buying one of those older Tacomas. Again, the problem is I don't fit in those things, but I would love one for scouting and purposes. There's a bunch of guys I guide with and they carry, basically they could rebuild that entire Tacoma with what they have in the bed. Well, and and they they probably take care of it though, too. You know what I mean? They're probably, you know, they're always updating it and taking maintenance. Like sure. They might not take care of it because they're beating it up down the roads and stuff. But at the end of the season, they're always making sure everything's in order. It's not like we're telling people to go buy a brand new vehicle or get rid of their old one. It's just make sure the thing will run and make it there and back for you when you go do it. Exactly. I think at the end of the day, as long as you're prepared for whatever you're going to do, I mean, that's that's basically the best thing you can do is just that that, you know, prior thought process of knowing this is the stuff I got to have in, in case something goes bad. Yeah, this is what yeah. just you gotta make sure your ducks are all in a row when it comes to that stuff. But, exactly. Uh, well, man, uh, I've had you on here long enough. Do you have any other questions or anything you want to input on anything? You know, man, I think we covered a lot about that topic. That was pretty good. Um, I think if uh, whoever listens, if anyone has questions, you know, I get asked a lot of time on Instagram by people about you know, gear and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And obviously each year there's always something new or better and new generations. And uh, we have a great network of guys that's always trying that stuff out. So if anyone does have questions, you know, feel free to ask. Um, I do apologize to a lot of the people who ask me questions on Instagram because sometimes it's a while before I get to respond to them, but that's just, you know, due to work, cell phone service or whatever, but we're always happy to answer any questions and I mean, obviously right now, elk results and antelope just came out here in Arizona. So anyone who's, you know, not sure what they want to do with their tag or if they're looking at getting an outfitter, you know, go ahead and give us a call, you know, message me and we can get you lined out. And even if you don't decide to book, we can at least talk you in the right direction. We're always happy to help. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on today. Thanks for the time. And I hope we kind of help all these younger dudes or like I said, even the older guy that's looking for a career change. I hope we help them. Uh, lined out in the right path to make that you know become a success successful job for them or an opportunity for them absolutely cool man well i'm gonna i didn't draw anything elk or antelope wise so i'm gonna cross my fingers for deer i know it's not gonna happen but if i do i'll be calling you so answer <laughs> perfect keep us posted <laughs> hey man i appreciate it thanks tyler